Welcome to episode 43 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I am your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, I talk about some current news items regarding the cyber threat, the evolving nature of it, uh, an advisory from the FBI. Uh, DHS and Australians, I believe, and talk about a new venture I'm looking to put forward and my need for some beta testers to help me out with it. So I don't know what it's like where you are, but where I am in Huntsville, Alabama, it is hot. I mean, I am talking ridiculously hot where you don't want to go outside because it's so miserably painful to to do so. So uh, hopefully you are staying comfortable wherever you are and keeping yourself safe online so you're not becoming a cyber victim. But it's been a little while since I've done a podcast. I apologize for that. I, I'm, I'm blaming this on on summer stuff. And so I've been a little, a little lax in putting together podcasts and getting them out on a more regular basis. And I do promise once uh, the summer rolls out and we get closer to September, I'll be doing these on a more regular weekly basis. Once again, need to get together some, uh, some guests for some future podcasts. I should be doing one this week that revolves around the threats, uh, the cyber threat environment as it pertains to small and medium-sized businesses. So hopefully I'll have that later this week. So this might be a two-podcast week for those who are sticking with me and listening to the podcast. I do appreciate uh, all of your uh, participation and your willingness to, to listen to what I have to say. Little old me here in Huntsville, Alabama. Before I get into my news stories here, I do want to recommend that if you listen, if you like this podcast and you like this kind of discussion regarding cyber threats, there's another podcast called the Dr. Zero Trust Podcast with Dr. Chase Cunningham. He was on my podcast a couple months ago. Uh, he has a really good, really good podcast. It's about 20 minutes, a half hour, depending on if he has a guest or not. And uh, he's a much smarter guy than I am, and he talks about some uh, good stuff on his podcast. So I... Uh, Give that to you to listen to if you if you have some time in your podcast rotation, uh, another good podcast to listen to, and it's a, it's great topics that, that he talks about. So, for this podcast, I got a couple news articles I want to talk about. Uh, the first one uh, is for business owners primarily, but obviously, if you're an individual and you're working from home, this is especially for you. But this is a U.S., U.K., and Australian joint cybersecurity advisory. So this is from, where am I getting this from? It's actually from the FBI website. So um, this is, you can find it at FBI.gov, the press area. But so I'm going to read a couple paragraphs here and kind of talk about it. But the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, which is DHS's cyber component, the Australian Cybersecurity Center, U.K.'s National Cybersecurity Center, and the FBI released a joint advisory on the 28th of July that highlighted the top common vulnerabilities and exposures routinely exploited by cyber actors in 2020 and those vulnerabilities currently being exploited thus far in 2021. One of the key findings is that four of the most targeted vulnerabilities in 2020 involved remote work. Not a surprise because of COVID, but these included VPNs, cloud-based technologies, and so on. Largely, they found that VPN gateway devices remained unpatched, basically meaning that companies who had VPNs for their their at-home workers to log in securely to networks weren't configured correctly and it allowed bad guys access to those VPNs and then access to the networks and all that kind of stuff. One of the things I talk about a lot uh, and, and a lot of friends of mine who do similar things like this and do a lot of presentations like Scott Agamemnon and things like that, talk about patching of software. VPN is nothing more than a software, software-based utility that allows you secure encrypted traffic into a network you want access to. There are personal 
VPNs. You can have them for your home, things like that. And companies obviously use these to allow their workers to get in securely to the networks. But still, it's still software. There are vulnerabilities within those softwares that need to be patched when those vulnerabilities are identified. So it's important for companies to stay on top of that. But let's be honest, small, medium-sized companies largely don't have the personnel or the resources to kind of stay on top of these as much as they should. So this is a great advisory. I, I commend you to find it. It is You can find it on DHS's website, on the FBI website. Um, if you can't find it there, give me a call. or I'm sorry, give me an email, and I'll provide you with a copy. It's actually at... Uh, if you go to us-cert.cisa.gov uh, and look under alerts, it's alert AA21-209A. And it'll talk about where the vulnerabilities are. Citrix vulnerabilities, Fortinet, Microsoft, Telkirk, I mean, a couple of Microsoft ones. So take a look at that. It'll help you at least from a, from a minimum be able to identify particular vulnerabilities in your network yourself if you're a business owner, small, medium-sized business owner. If you're a large business owner and your your guys are behind, this will help you at least identify some routinely exploited vulnerabilities that you can patch and ideally protect yourself and reduce your risk overall. Because that's, again, that's what we want to talk about all the time is how do you reduce your risk overall. So I commend that to you. Go find that AA21-209A is the joint advisory. The title is Top Routinely Exploited Vulnerabilities. So here is the next two articles kind of tie together a little bit. Uh, the first one is from Threat Post, and this is uh, from Becky Bracken on July 29th. And it is the UC San Diego health breach tied to a phishing attack. Now, most of you are probably saying, well, that is not a surprise. And then the reason I point this out is because phishing is still really the top way bad guys are getting in. So let me read a little bit about this. Um, but authorities at the University of California, San Diego Health reported a phishing attack led to a major breach of its network, which allowed an adversary to gain access to sensitive patient, student, and employee data. Uh, this occurred... Uh, so this was from Wednesday of this week. They did a notice that explained the attack occurred between December 2nd, 2020 and April 1st, 2021 and exposed personal information, including names, addresses, date of birth, email, social security numbers, date and cost of medical services. Uh, this was referred to the FBI who worked it, but the pr- couple problems with this data breach was not an uncommon data breach, clearly, but December 2nd to April 8th is, if I count it correctly, five months. So basically the bad guys were in this system for five months stealing as much information as they can before anyone figured out they were there. And this is certainly a problem because this is the standard where bad guys get into a system, they are in there for a long period of time. And so additionally, what this particular report noted was that um so a couple other pieces on this basically this is a phishing attack someone clicked a link which created a, a, a spot on the network that allowed a bad guy to get in uh and so basically it says the process of analyzing the data in the email accounts is ongoing they're moving quickly to take time to deliver accurate information blah 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 so they're trying to fix the problem here we are so april it, april 8th they found out, and still three months later, they're still trying to figure out how deeply this problem goes. But this is a larger issue for, especially for healthcare, because between 2019 and 2020, the number of healthcare breaches spiked 55%. And this is due to the massive amounts of personal health information that these institutions store. It's great tools for 
bad guys to get information to because they can use it for a variety of reasons. If they're criminal actors, they can use it for identity theft. They can use it for healthcare-related fraud. If they're nation-state actors, they can use it to find vulnerabilities, to find pokes, to try to convert into spies. There's a whole host of issues. Uh, and from this article, there's a, there's a gentleman in here named Anarung Kahol, who's CTO and co-founder of a company called BitGlass. And he is saying, organizations should leverage a zero trust framework to ensure all their resources are granularly secure. Now, zero trust is a new term within the security world for this year. I mean, it's been around for a while, but you've got a lot of people that have never heard of it. And it essentially means that every device on your network does not trust any other devices. The reason most of these bad guys are able to do what it is that they do is because most networks uh, are, create trust relationships between the devices on it. So if you get access to one, it's very easy to move or pivot to another device on that network because Device A, trust device B, and if you compromise device B, you can then get access to device A. That's a very generalized terminology for what that all means. But the zero trust framework is designed that item A or computer A doesn't trust anything coming from computer B, so you can't get in. The problem with that is it's, I don't think it's, and I haven't done enough research to be honest, but um, it is not exactly easy, cheap, or um, quick to implement. Although more companies are starting to go to it, those that can afford to do it fairly quickly or hire folks to do it for them. But there's other things you can do in the meantime. You can incorporate multi-factor authentication, user and identity behavioral analytics that allow you to look at your network a little clearer to help you identify when bad guys are in your system. For example, user and entity behavior analytics is essentially software that if you are Typing, if you have a methodology by which you type on a computer, someone has access to your account and they, they cannot duplicate how you type in words on your keyboard, quite frankly. So this software identifies a change in that user behavior and highlights it and it identifies it for someone to look into that a little deeper. Again, the problem is the cost perspective and a monitoring perspective. Do you have enough cost? I mean, do you have the money? Do you have the personnel to look at those things and be able to do it? Most companies, especially small and medium-sized companies, just do not. It is not the fault of, it's not their fault, honestly. They are, you know, cybersecurity, as I've said many times, is a, not a profit generator for any company. So it costs you money to do these things. My argument against that, though, is let's say, you spend $50,000 on cybersecurity technology, cybersecurity training, whatever, to try to reduce your risk. And you do that for 10 years. That's still $500,000 you're going to spend. Okay, that's probably on the low end. If you have one data breach, so my guess is for this particular data breach, we're talking the University of California, San Diego healthcare system. My guess is the amount of cost they are going to incur to deal with this data breach is in the upwards of $5 million. So if you if you spread that $5 million out over that same 10-year period, that's $500,000 a year. So you can spend $50,000 over $50,000 a year and protect yourself and have better chance of not becoming a victim or don't do anything, take a chance that you don't get that one in 10-year hit that's going to cost you $5 million up front. So that's why my argument is always, you know, you have to spend money on security awareness training on specific technology to help secure your network and a host of other things to stay on top of this whole cybersecurity world and what we're doing here with the cyber threats. They are not, the bad guys aren't stopping, you know, even though 
Revol and Dark Side, the, the big ransomware groups out of Russia, they're making millions and millions of dollars, but they're not stopping saying that's enough. There was an interview that I, I heard um, that uh, Chase Cunningham on his Dr. Zero Trust podcast talked about. Where an actor said, look, there is no, there is not enough money. I will keep doing this as long as I don't hit Russian, um, Russian networks. No one's ever going to come arrest me. Russians aren't going to arrest him. So, and he said, there is not enough money in the world. So he was going to keep doing it, even though he has millions and millions of dollars from doing this. So the bad guys aren't going to stop. So I say all that, that you can either, you know, pay a little bit now to fix your issues, to make your network, your system more secure, or you can pay it later when the bad guys come and get in your system for five months or more. I guess in this particular case, they found out the intrusion was there five months in. Uh, They got lucky because that is a shorter amount of time than usual. The average time before a company generally finds out someone's in their system is somewhere around 300 days, so about a year, before you figure out someone's in your system stealing your stuff. So my last article here is from ZDNet.com. Uh, it's from January, I'm sorry, July 29th, Danny Palmer reporting. It's a ransomware article, but it basically said these are the two most common ways hackers get inside your network. So obviously there is a lot and a lot of reporting on ransomware activity. You know, you have Colonial Pipeline, you have JBS Meets, you have UC, well, that wasn't a, UC San Diego was not ransomware, it was a data breach, <clears throat> excuse me. But, um, you know, obviously you cannot go a day without having a ransomware impact somewhere. There was an article I just saw on LinkedIn today um, where there was an electric company, actually it was a just supply, electrical supply chain company, they weren't, they didn't provide electricity, but they provided um, stuff that electrical companies needed, but they got hit with ransomware. So these, this is from the article, email phishing attacks and brute force attacks against exposed remote desktop protocol services are the most common methods cyber criminals are using to gain an initial foothold in corporate network to lay the foundations for ransomware attacks. Cybersecurity researchers at Coveware analyzed ransomware attacks during the second quarter of this year and have detailed how phishing attacks and RDP attacks are the most popular entry points for starting ransomware attacks. Part of the appeal for cyber criminals is that these are low cost to carry out while also being effective. Phishing attacks where cyber criminals send emails containing a malicious attachment or direct victims towards a compromised website which delivers ransomware have slightly grown in popularity over the last quarter, accounting for 42% of attacks. Uh, Meanwhile, attacks against RDP services, these are remote access services that allow you access to a network remotely. So obviously people working from home need these particular types of services. So these use, cyber criminals use brute force attacks using weak or default usernames and passwords, or sometimes gain access to legitimate credentials via phishing emails, remain extremely popular with ransomware groups, also accounting for 42%. So 88% of the attacks occur because of poor human interaction in some way, shape, or form. Either someone clicks on a link in an email, opens an attachment, has bad password management, the company doesn't get rid of old passwords, doesn't change default usernames and passwords, or a whole host of issues. Again, none of these issues that we are looking at here is a ransomware group brute force attacking a network covertly and finding some vulnerability in some obscure software tool that the company is using. They are using simple tools that have been around forever and they are still effective again, because 
of some kind of human interaction. Now, there's two parts of the human interaction here. The, the, the people clicking on the phishing is cybersecurity awareness training for companies where people don't know they shouldn't click on the link or are fooled enough to, to click on it. The other side is IT training. How are your IT folks trained to know that they need to change default usernames and passwords? They need to remove user accounts from people who left companies. There was another article I read. I don't have the reference here in front of me, but they did a survey of, pe- of a thousand people and four 41% of them said they had been they had been they had departed their previous company a year or more and they still had access to their to some of their accounts on those systems meaning that of the so 410 people who had left a company still had access to that company's network because the company had not removed them from the access roles that is an IT problem. That is, you're not training your IT people. I mean, this is this goes all the way back to things I've talked about. That's going to be the last thing I talk about in this podcast eventually, but it has to do with training. Um, but we'll talk about that in a bit. So, from from a, you can learn from this for, for for business purposes to protect your business and individually because these type of attacks are the same against your home network. Now, RDP not so much certainly, but. It goes all the way back to phishing. We are susceptible to phishing. The world, humans are susceptible to wanting to believe what they see online, trusting. I mean, people have an innate trust of most folks, most most people. I mean, obviously, if you're psychopathic, you don't. But for the most part, people trust. You know, if you get something from your mother or from your brother, you trust that it's real. I have gotten these a ton of emails lately saying, hey, I won a Lowe's car, gift card or I won you know, something from Home Depot. And you can tell just on the email, it's through my Gmail that I'm looking at it on a web browser. That's a copy paste job of something. It's not, it's fake. The email address from where it comes from is identified as bogus. So it's easy to identify, but there's plenty of people that if you say, Hey, look, you just want a thousand dollar shopping spree at Lowe's click here to claim it. Someone's going to click that link because someone always clicks the link. So I say all that just again, to reiterate the fact that that phishing is still the best way folks are getting into to networks. You need to be aware of it and protect yourself from it. So I don't have a, I don't have a news story for this next, this next topic, but it's just interesting that something that happened to me yesterday and uh, I got a phone call and I couldn't record it because I was at work. So I didn't have the opportunity to record it, but I wish I did because I kept a guy on the line for 20 minutes. Basically it was a recording that's saying this is the federal reserve system. Your social security number has been identified as being used in legal activity, blah, blah, all that crap. Press one to get more information. So I'm like, let me press one. So I pressed one and this guy got online said his name was, I don't know, it's like Anthony Smith or something, but he was certainly no Anthony, Anthony Smith and talk. I can already make out. He had very poor English and you could hear all the people in the background talking, but I went on with him for a long time trying to get to the scam part and it's funny because he went through a whole lot of machinations with me as far as you know getting my name so i gave him a bogus name he did have my real phone number which was fine but i gave him my a bogus name a made-up name and a made-up address yet somehow those that bogus name and that bogus address matched some file he had on me about the crime that i had been involved with and he was going on and on about drug drug use and People in Colombia, I'm not really sure where he was going with it. It was kind of funny. Um, and then he said, you know, I can, I might be able to make this go away if I talk to your local police department. So who's your local police department? So I looked up, a, I looked up, I grew up in upstate New York. So I looked up the Potsdam, New York Police Department, which is a very small local police entity in upstate New York near where I grew up. And I gave him that number. He must have checked the number, found out it was really a police department, believed I was telling him what I said. 
And so he claimed he was talking to, and he, he, he went through this machination of talking to a, someone on a Javier Lopez or something at the Potsdam Police Department, which I can guarantee there is no Javier Lopez at the Potsdam Police Department. Uh, and so it was kind of funny because he said, this guy's going to call me and so I can talk to him. And I said, well, how do I stay on the line with you if I have to talk to him? So he was trying to get one of his other guys, I'm sure, to take my phone number and spoof the number from the Potsdam Police Department. That's how he he spoofed his number. It appeared to come from, uh, let me double check where that appeared to come from. I'm sure I still have it in my recents, but uh, appeared to come from, actually it did not stick. So like, so, oh, from Indiana. So Martinsville, Indiana is where his phone number came from. So I'm sure he was going to make it, and it's just a, it's a spoofing software tool you can use online. You can make, you can go online and make calls online from anywhere you want to be. I've had had it where I called where someone using my phone number called me, and I'm like, why am I calling myself anyway? So this went on for a while. He said this was being recorded for whatever, and so I couldn't take it anymore. After 20 minutes, he never got to the scam part of it, and so I basically, you know, I basically said, hey, I'm glad you're recording this because so am I. So I can play it on my podcast because I was waiting to see what your scam was. He hung up on me, whatever. But um, so I'm hoping at some point I can I can record one of these so you can kind of hear what it sounds like. But you you don't have to necessarily listen to me. There are, are plenty of YouTube. YouTube um, videos where people are talking to scammers. You can kind of get an idea of what it sounds like, what they're saying. Usually they'll curse at you and then hang up, but it's it's kind of entertaining. But I say all that just to be aware, so you're aware, that these calls are going on. But think about it from a, you know, a senior perspective. If you have seniors who aren't quite as well-versed into the cyber threat environment and they get that phone call, what are they going to do? They may listen to the person, believe it's true, and then they, you know, by the time someone helps them out with the issue, they're thousands of dollars lost based on how these scams are put together. So I, I give all that to you just to be aware that these are going on out there. Inform your elderly parents, your elderly relatives that not might not be as well versed, that aren't listening to this podcast, that don't spend any time thinking about cybersecurity threats. Protect them. Make them know they shouldn't answer those phone calls. My my in-laws are staying with me for, for a couple of weeks as my mother-in-law recoups from um, some shoulder surgery, and they got a call last night from someone claiming they were from an insurance company. So I started talking to him. I just didn't have the patience to deal with it, so I hung up on him. But anyway, th- those are out there. Be aware. You know, if you don't recognize phone numbers on your phone, um, phone phishing, this kind of thing, is very popular right now. I get at least one or two of these a week. I just wish they would do it at night so I could record the dang thing. But anyway, be aware they're out there. Be careful. Tell people. Make them aware of it. So the last thing I want to talk about before I head out for today uh, and leave you to the rest of your weekend is I want to talk about a program I'm creating called Get Cyber Smart. Cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R, obviously, for branding purposes. But what I'm doing, uh, I did a presentation a week or two ago for a small business group uh, here in northern Alabama, and I offered... Uh, a one-year educational service where I would provide cyber educational information every month for 12 months to talk about different cyber topics, which revolves around my my belief that the way that we do cybersecurity awareness training needs to change or be more effective in the sense of trying to create people that think about cyber not 24 hours a day, but they've got enough information that they're less likely to become victimized. Like I've said on other podcasts, the way that we do cybersecurity awareness training 
uh, for businesses with the the once a year one hour presentation or the the PowerPoint video or what have you just doesn't seem to be working. There's plenty of news articles that show that it has limited effectiveness if, if people are still clicking on links. Because I'm pretty sure don't click on a link in an email has got to be one of the first things on all this training, yet people still click on links. So that being said, I offered up this new thing to test it. Um, I didn't have a name for it at the time. Um, and I think one person, maybe two, walked up to me and said, hey, that's something we'd be interested in. So then I went on LinkedIn and posted a the same thing saying, I'm looking for 10 companies that I'll provide this to for free. There's no cost to them. It basically will be me doing all the work and I'll provide it through YouTube, a private YouTube channel, um, some emails with information you can pass to all you and, you, and everybody in the company can you use it and utilize this information. I don't care how they, how they give it or who they give it to, because I just want to, I just want to beta test it to see, well, how can I make it better? What can I do with it? So it's now called the Get Cyber Smart Program, and it has a host of different things. It has the year-long training for companies. It'll have training for churches, training for schools, individual training. If you want to become, if you just want the basics of what the cyber threat is, I'll have a program for that. Uh, it won't all be free, obviously. I'm looking to monetize this in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure how to do that yet because I need some people just to kind of test it for me. So I say all that to say, if you're listening to this and you would like to beta test some of the stuff I do, I'm going to spend August building all this stuff out and make it launch it on September 1st. Then email me, Darren at thecyberguy.com or Darren at cybersmart.com. I have that URL as well now, cyber, C-Y-B-U-R in both cases. Email me and I will put you on a list and I'll send you the stuff for free. And you can at least tell me if it's good, bad, indifferent, sucks, stop doing it. You're wasting your time. No one ever pay for this, whatever. Obviously, I'm looking to monetize it and make you something to sell for folks because there's a lot of people in the world that clearly are still being cyber victims and I want to stop that where I can, but I can't do it for free all the time. So I'm looking to do that. If that's something that's of interest to you, email me um, and I'd be happy to talk with you about it and how to make it work. So with that, I am going to leave you. Actually, one other thing, I'm going to create a second podcast called the Get Cyber Smart Podcast, which will basically be five and five to fifteen minute little little snippets of different educational pieces, which will be pieces of larger training modules that I will have created over time. Because I have a master's degree in cybersecurity, master's degree in education, time to blend those two things together and basically save the world, stop everybody from becoming cyber victims. So. If that's of interest, hit me up. Let me know. Happy to have you participate in the program. Oops, sorry. Double hit that one. So with that, again, I thank you very much for your patience, your continued listening to the podcast. I just passed the 10,000 download mark. So thank you for every one of you who's downloaded and listened, passing information along. I hope to talk to you soon. Have a good week. 